Hey y'all, it's Baldo here, and I want to help you unlock your next level potential with a discounted ticket to this year's Howdy Health Fest happening in December. Use code HDYHPOD25 and enjoy a weekend filled with world-class biohacking products, top health experts, movement, connection, and recovery, and maybe even some ice baths and some nice sauna time. Remember, this year's festival is December 2nd through 4th. It's going to be an exciting time. We are committed, committed to you to bring you the best experience that your health can achieve. All right, guys, welcome to the How Do You Health podcast. We are live online with Ravi, and we're going to be talking about the future of healthcare, where it's going, how AI is making a difference. And I want to get into that pretty quickly because between John and I, we've been discussing how practice is going to look in the future and how we can, I mean, we keep talking about like different ways to create protocols that can transfer into like a digital system. And I think that's what, what Ravi, you're already doing with your company, but Let's give the audience a brief introduction for yourself, please, and then uh, we'll get right into the business. Yeah, sure. First of all, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Great to meet you guys and love what you're doing. I'm sorry I couldn't be there in person. This will be my first trip to Austin, so I'll have to visit this that beautiful city. I keep hearing so much about it at a later time. Well, we come for the for our festival actually yeah. in December. Yeah. Oh, perfect. All right. Hey, festivals are great. Always. That, that's you can't say no to that. Uh, so the quick 30 seconds on me. So Robbie Kamadi Reddy, I'm an internal medicine physician from the Midwest, kind of trained out on both coasts, ended up in California, was in clinical practice, but very early in my career was started to get into how we can improve our processes and healthcare in general using a combination of like better ideas, technology, and people. And some of those ideas included machine learning, um, you know, and AI approaches. But ended up kind of doing a research fellowship at Scripps. Also, at the time, it was called Scripps Translational Science Institute. It was one of their first wireless scholars, which was an area that now we know as digital health, right? So the use of wearables, technology to empower people, prevention, better diagnostics, portability, all those things. And then it was also, at the same time, a visiting fellow at the West Health Institute. So really learned a lot about, explored new models of healthcare payments, just the nitty gritty and all that stuff, right? Like how the system works well, but also how it's broken. Ended up co-founding two companies, Lumiata and Reflection Health, both kind of doing different aspects of the digital health spectrum. One, taking more machine learning approaches to creating, to basically deconstructing a doctor's brain and putting it into a, into a phone and seeing if we give that away to a billion people was the original idea. And secondly, hacking kind of consumer devices and using them for healthcare. So we had a, one of the world's first virtual physical therapy systems at Reflection using actually a video game camera is what we, what we used. But in any case, it reached patients, it helped, it was measurable, it was pretty cool. Then took some time off and then um, really was thinking about, had to focus the rest of my life into one area of healthcare and health and human longevity and well-being. How would we do that? Like, what's the area to focus on? There's so many areas. And it's really behavior change. It's like functional medicine approaches to changing our behavior because so many of these dumb diseases that we're all suffering from are lifestyle related, right? And plus just part of the secret of that recipe to living a longer, better life is to actually maximize our time, stress management, sleep, exercise, nutrition, et cetera. So we all intuitively know that. We know it's scientifically backed and it's like, let's do that instead. So this became the genesis of what now is Daytona Health. So I'm the CEO and founder of Daytona and we're building a team to help people by using a combination of awesome experts, algorithms, 
behavior change science data about them from their wearables, lab results, medical, blah, 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 really upgrade their lifestyles, help them institute new systems that they can use to improve their sleep, exercise, nutrition, mindfulness, and also kick ass. I mean, not just get healthy, but improve your performance, you know, at work and with your family and your hobbies and stuff like that. We use just an ultra personalized technique of coaching to do that. Yeah. We have plans on introducing an AI approach to do this as well, to help kind of scale this to the 200 million people who need it in the US alone. Uh, and we also have plans to sprinkling back some of those elements of the MD component into this too. So it becomes a one-stop shop for everything that someone would need to subscribe to at a very early age to just stay healthy, right? Start making better decisions. Isn't that what we all want? Like a system to help us make better decisions every day from like when we're 30 onwards so we can just avoid that slow, <laughs> slow car crash, which is like the current healthcare system, right? So that's our goal. We're really thinking that big. I'll stop there. That's a lot of information I just threw at you. One thing that sticks out for me is that, well, one thing that we've even mentioned on our podcast before, we talk about it all the time, is is the idea of creating like a new health insurance company, right? And how does that look like? And it's for us, it's always like, well, it's not about insuring, it's about assuring that you're going to stay healthy, right? So we always talk about health assurance instead of like health insurance. And that's kind of what you're talking about, right? Like it's take care that. of the issues beforehand. It's kind of like a car. Like if you don't keep it up, if you don't spend a little bit here and here and doing the oil changes and the spark plug changes, then you're going to have like a really serious situation in the future. Yeah. Yeah. And I look at it as, and we've mentioned the data, data is objective information, right? And when you use that, it's very easy to get behind that model, right? And so when you have as much data as possible, you learning as a practitioner, me as well, it's great that we got away from the idea of like, it can't just be symptom based. It can't just be root cause. It has to be the systems that are working together with one another. And as more information I have, the less guessing I have to do. And then I can really customize an approach that meets the individual needs. And I think that's what's great because once you get that established, like you said, the lifestyle is separate of this beautiful machine that we have called the human body that we're already born with, right? Like we basically lifestyle puts obstacles in the way and with more obstacles we put in the way, the harder it is to have to deal with it. And so if you maximize the things that we have as far as tools and resources, then people will learn, I think after a while that there becomes this, like you said, an algorithm, a protocol, if you will, that is more of a maintenance for their car or their human body. And the data is just diagnostic scans to tell us where the, the issue is, right? I mean, that's how I look at it. And I love the Daytona's approach. Now I was looking at the website and it's beautiful. When you also talk about that customized approach, Kind of tell us a little bit about what the wearables bring to that dynamic. Yeah. So you bring up a really good point. I think you've hit upon a pillar of what I think the healthcare system, and, and actually for the last 15 years, digital health has really been good at doing, which has been getting a lot of data. But I want to bring up, so actually, let me explore that first. What I mean by that is we're really good at testing, scanning, measuring, and we're getting better and better with that, right? And the markers we have now are linked to diseases. And we know that those fit into a pattern of thinking that gives us, along with symptoms and how people feel and all those things, an idea of what's going on with that person. 
part of our mission and a really important part of our mission is to actually go one step further than that. Let me tell you what I mean. I actually think we're data overloaded. So I see 15 years of people with multiple wearables. There's 1,500 wearables. There's, there's 75 million recipes on Pinterest. There are all these different, you know, there's a thousand different apps that tell you how to exercise. So in essence, the question for me is, why is it that people don't seem to be making consistently good decisions for themselves, despite having basically access to all the knowledge in the world, including scientific research? It's like, what is it about like the human condition, the human brain that we're fundamentally, it's like we call the intention action gap. And we all do this. Like we know we should do things that are better for ourselves. Like we rashly know it, but how do you take that data and turn like good intentions into good actions? And that's like kind of where we come in. So the system and like a lot of different entities have evolved great ways within the healthcare system to create tons of information. And I'm looking now to say, can we use that to help drive behavior? And that's what we do. So to answer your question about like wearable data and stuff like that. It helps ground us and helps us ground our members in the reality of what's actually happening with the areas of lifestyle. Because how many times does this happen? You're like, not sure how much, you know, we have exercise guidelines that we try to get people to. We know what these guidelines are. We know the clear effects of like exercising 300 minutes a week or whatever. Well, the one thing wearables are actually good at doing is measuring that. And so how many times this happened with one of your patients or clients where they're like, you know, I don't eat that much and I'm moving a lot, but I'm still not able to lose weight. And sometimes as a coach, you have to sit there and go, let's rip the bandaid off here a little bit. Let's really take a look at how much you're moving. And that number may be a lot less than what you thought it was going to be. Because what you feel like you're doing, like to your point about, you know, objective, what you feel like you're doing, what you feel like you're eating doesn't actually match up with your actual macro intake or how much you're moving. So even though it feels like you may be working really hard and you're stressed, you're only really moving like 80 minutes a week. And most of the time you're sitting in front of a computer. That's actually, it's like people don't want to look at that information by themselves. It's painful to look at that. And plus you don't know what to do with it. So we have all these devices that are, I think a lot of people are stuck in that, that situation right now. But a lot of devices and things are telling them either what to do, what they should do, but they're like, I just can't seem to execute on making this, uh, making a change. So what we come in and do is we look at that and use it as a baseline. How are you eating? How are you moving? How are you sleeping? But more importantly, how are you thinking? What is your thought process and attitude towards yourself, towards sleep, towards eating? Like when you do eat what you eat, why are you eating these things or why do you crave the certain foods? You know, like the psychological processes underlying why people are producing the numbers on those wearables that they're producing. So it helps us understand what the starting point is for people. And then as we start to implement algorithms or specific techniques to help people get better, we can return to that data and see if there's an objective improvement. And like you said, a lot of the times how we feel doesn't accurately reflect actually what's going on, right? So that's where that wearable data and the lab data really helps us. It's like if your A1C is seven and you've instituted a nutrition program or plan three months later, your A1C is still seven. Okay, we got to do something different. What we're eating or what we thought we were eating is not working, even though it may feel like we're working. And that's where coaching comes in. You really need third party to come in and help guide those decisions and give you perspective and reframe your attitude toward what's actually happening versus what you think is happening. And that just seems to be 
fundamental part of being a human being, isn't it? I mean, I do know, and you, you guys probably know, of like 5% of people are really good without coaching. They're just intrinsically motivated. They're really objective. They want all the data in the world. They want to just get better. They're like, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And those people, the way we talk about it them internally is they don't really need a mindset shift. They've got the mindset. They need tactics. So these are like your top athletes. It's like the best race car drivers in the world be like, I already got this. I'm super motivated. If you want me to be here at four in the morning, I'll be here at 359. Just tell me how to drive better, how to move the wheel. And those people are almost easy, right? You're like, okay, cool. So we got to like dive down into actually how to just, we all just tell you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But the thing is 95% of people are the opposite. I'm including myself in this. It's like, I need mindset plus tactics. So if you just tell me what to do with the tactics, I don't really like, yeah, but I'm busy. I talk myself out of it. We're, we're tired. We feel like eating stuff when I'm stressed. I feel like eating stuff that I should be, you know, so I need a mindset shift and mindset is trainable. And I think that's one of the most important things we found in the science of uh, behavior change. So mindset's trainable, grit, resilience, attitudes, these things are changeable. It just takes guidance and coaching. So that's where we use data. So we use data to set a baseline to track progress. And the third really important way is it helps us move our members from a healthcare system, which is just precision health into what we call precision behavior. So the data like psych profiling, testing, kind of how you res- your personality type, stuff like that helps us along another axis. And it helps us match what kind of behavior change techniques work on each person. And that's what I think has been missing from a lot of the, the digital health and technology spectrum. That stuff is really good. It works incredibly well for that 5% of people. Just slap a Fitbit on them, a whoop band. They're like, cool, I know how to swim better. I know they're ready to go. But it's not moving the needle on behavior on 95% of people. Life expectancy has gone down despite having all this stuff, this technology available. People are getting worse, right? They're getting more anxious. They're getting more overweight. They're getting more diabetes. So to me, I was just like, what's going on? What's missing here from this whole picture? And what's missing is the coaching. Helping people take that information put it to use, getting insights from that data. And specifically, knowing like each person's different. They're going to need different motivation, behavior change techniques to get them to nudge them in the right direction. The real IP that we're building is that. It's like, can we decode human motivation and behavior when it comes to their health behaviors? Can I predict human behavior? No. That's the trillion dollar question, right? If we could all do that. However, if I can scope it down to the domain of like why this person specifically is not sleeping as well as they should, yeah, I could probably predict that behavior. Can I predict that like on a really, really stressful day at 5 p.m. that a person with a history of impulsive eating is probably, if they have things around in the house that are bad for them, are probably going to go reach for those things when they're stressed out? Yes, I can predict that. Can I put a number on that? Probably. And then does that tell me what I should do? Yes, I know when to intervene, how I can intervene with a nudge and course correct them, right? And that's what coaching and technology allows us to do. So data is super important. But we use it more than just kind of as a stamp of how you're doing, more like what behavior technique should we use on you? To us, that's what the word personalization really means. It's not just like do these exercises, they're good for your body type. It's like, how do I get you to actually consistently do it for three times a week? That's the real trick, isn't it? I I do find that a lot of tech companies or a lot of wearables are looking like, how do I get even more data, right? Because they're trying to, I guess, maybe to figure out like if I get more details then that maybe I can predict better, but psychologically that just doesn't 
make a lot of sense. Still not yet. Maybe with AI, we can get there. I don't, I'm not sure. But now whenever someone coaches with you or with, with Daytona, do they also get a tech package of like, these are the things I'd like for you guys to wear? Or do you just go with whatever they already have? No, we do give them a tech package. And the reason is because we know we have high confidence in some of these tools that work. Some of them are very technologically advanced, like an Ura Ring or a Fitbit, which is what we usually go with, with people. But you'd be surprised if the goal is just to reduce the number of barriers that are getting in the way of people making good decisions. You also come up with a list of other tools that are very analog that still work really well. So when people are onboarding with us, they do receive a very cool kind of welcome kit that includes one of those wearables to help them and help our coaches kind of get on the same page on how they're doing. We even include things like post-it notes and a food scale, right? If you're like, hey, I got to eat so many calories. I'm trying to get this much protein in. We're like, okay, well, let's measure that out for dinner. Let's food prep correctly. And they're like, well, I don't have a food scale. So it's like, when you think about the root causes, you're like, so a $20 food scale is, per, you know, how many times this happened in our lives? when like the really dumbest, cheapest things are getting in the way and helping us make excuses to make better decisions. So we're like, we made a list of those. And there's a number of these things. And we just send all that stuff with them too. It's like, look, got no excuse now. You, we've given you all the tools. And now we're not just going to give them to you. We're going to show you how to use them. To your point earlier about the wearables trying to do this. Yeah, I think these two, both axes are really important. And I think one axis is like one area you can push the innovation is how accurate is the sensors on the Fitbit for measuring sleep or the URA ring. And that's a very worthwhile avenue to go down because the more accurate the data, the more reliable it is, the better we can make better decisions for sure. You know, lab tests, stuff like that are really important to get right. I also think that there's a limit to that. So it's like, how good enough is good enough? Do you need a sleep study grade thing? So there's going to be a point where you go, this is good enough. Then the other avenue you really have to go down now is changing from sending a reminder that the Fitbit does now that says, hey, remember to get up and go walk. And you're like, yeah, thanks. I know that, right? It's actually doing what we do, which is coaching them with a very persuasive nudge using that data to send them a message that actually gets helps them get up and go walk. That's the other avenue that we're pursuing. We're depending on the digital health ecosystem to just continue to get better with the accuracy and reliability. I think we're seeing that. I mean, if you look at the generation of tools we have now that are sold in the Apple store, like even Fitbits and stuff, they're way better than they were you know, 10 years ago. And I think that's just going to get better and better. We'll have a whole panoply of sensors that continue to push the limits, right? Smarter contact lenses, AR glasses, things that measure location with more accuracy, all that stuff is going to be there. We're making that bet that we don't have to push that innovation, that the companies will, but we're like a layer on top of them. Like, cool, get the best data. We'll always update our kit with the best tools that we can give you. You know, the next generation Ura Ring, we'll include it for you, don't worry. But we're going to add that layer on top, which is now you have this information. Now let's actually go make some changes and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Well, the wearables, like I said, there's like maybe the foot in the door sometimes, right? Because some oh. people need to see something visually, right? You mentioned the weight loss. I have found that most people, when they want to make a change, it's because it's weight loss that they want, right? And so if they don't see the results right away, or it's not enough, or it comes back, then it's almost like, when well, why bother? And I see that a lot of times with people, especially if they even were successful with weight loss, they will go say, what's the point again? I'm just going to gain it all back. Yeah. Wearable devices, it's interesting. The continuous glucose monitors, most people I've seen them now are not just diabetic. They're just regular non-diabetic metabolism. 
and people look and they say, well, when I eat this now, my monitor goes sky high and I can tell that that was too high of sugar content and I changed my uh, eating habits because of it. And I think it's interesting because something as simple as, like you said, the most simplest, cheapest things that's standing in our way is like, okay, could we literally be with them at all times when they go out to eat? No, we can't. But imagine that monitor is on them, right? And all of a sudden they go and they say, wow, I really thought that meal was pretty good. But then apparently it was like the worst meal of my day. You know, they might think twice about ordering their favorite meal again. And that behavior changes, right? And I like the approach of having that guide along the way with the coach because that has been what our deal is. We do vitamin IVs here in the clinic. And when people come in, when we first started, we said, oh, this is perfect. We can just have people sit down, stick out their arm, and we'll put everything that they need in the bag. But with COVID, it was interesting. There were people who were healthy, they were getting sick too, but they would get sick again. And then you wonder how healthy were these people? And we defined health with something of a new meaning. It wasn't the idea that you weren't taking the right supplements or you weren't working out enough or you weren't biohacking enough. It was mental well-being. And you talk about behavior aspect. I mean, when people come in for weight gain, I have to check myself sometimes when going directly towards that binge eating aspect of why they're there in the first place, because that involves so much more trauma than most people realize. And so that behavior change, and you and I both know this, and Baldo's found this out too since working together, the medical world is really not taught that unless you specialize in psychology, right? Yeah, I think I'm concerned. I think I can hear the concern in your, your guys' voice too. I mean, it's just, I'm concerned that we've got a, you know, $1.4 trillion of spending on a system. Like, okay, let's do an honest accounting. Let's do an honest accounting. I look at our focus. Our focus is really health span. That's what our focus is. Yep. The reason is because I think that term encompasses what people really want. They want to, for the most part, delay completely, prevent or delay it for a long time, reverse their existing chronic disease, or at least improve this cluster of what I would call cardiometabolic diseases that have common inflammatory root causes and lifestyle causes. So diabetes, hypertension, heart attack, stroke, uh, dyslipidemia, and obesity, and metabolic syndrome. There are others as well that are preventable, right? So things like the things that smoking causes some percentage of solid cancers, solid tumors, and like COPD, for example, largely preventable when they're caused by smoking. So you, we'd all agree on that. That's like one thing. Everybody, if you ask them, like, you know, you this is related to like your lifestyle. What everyone says to me is, this is what they said to me. They go, yeah, obviously. It's not like, oh, I didn't know that. They go, yeah, obviously. I used to test out the messaging for Daytona Health. And this is great advice for startups. If you want to test your messaging, just take Ubers a lot. Because like you had a captive audience. So I'm always like, hey man, like can I like run something by you? And they're like, yeah, sure. You know, like the driver. And so I just like give them the pitch. And I'm like, oh, it's just to see, right? Like, does the common person just know intuitively this stuff about their health? Universally, they go, Yeah, I know they're all related, but my doctors are just to give me pills and stuff. So, like, you know, <laughs> could never really tell me how to do this stuff. But yeah, I know they're all related. It's like, okay, so people aren't stupid, they understand this. Right, especially in 2022, they understand intuitively that these things are related to their lifestyle. The second pillar of health span is longevity, but not just living longer, but living longer well. Like the nightmare for everybody is Alzheimer's, right? Or being disabled to where you can't do the things you want to do physically or mentally. So you want to avoid these diseases, you want to live longer, and you want to live well. You want to do well at work, you want to have awesome relationships, you want to have 
a great relationship with your kids. You want to have the time to go explore new things. You don't just want to be stuck in what most people are stuck in now, where they consume Netflix, take care of their kids, take care of the bills, go to sleep tired, wake up tired, rinse and repeat, right? Zombie through work, wonder where they have meaning and purpose, mentally super stressed. And then a pandemic hits. It's like these people are at the breaking point already. And now you've got this much stress, conflicting information, people argue on the news. It's a nightmare. So there's absolutely no surprise to any of us, like how mental health issues have just skyrocketed over the last two years, right? It's a lot for everybody. Everyone's burned out. That's like what we're trying to avoid. So this health span to really achieve that ideal state, you got to take a root cause approach using data and objective results and tools, and you have to really make a dent in lifestyle. So that's kind of where we approach it. But to your point, you're exactly right. Okay. So how are we solving this problem now? Well, let's look at the healthcare system, do the honest accounting. As someone who's trained in this, I'll say there are parts to what we do that are absolutely amazing. In the United States, according to guidelines, in the continental United States, if you have a heart attack, the standard guidelines are that we can get you into a cath lab within 30 minutes, right? And open up that artery in 90. I mean, that's insane. Think about the logistics, the scientific discoveries, the thousands of people behind the scenes all the tools that had to be invented to make that happen to literally save your life. And we're really good at that part, aren't we? The saving your life part. When you get a car accident, you'll probably survive. Everything from like the airbags, the way the car was designed to how fast ambulances get there, what they can do in that ambulance ride before you even get to the hospital, the way the ER, the trauma surgeons are trained. It's insanely amazing. Even chemotherapies, cardiac stents, broken bones. And the rest of the system set up so that your life needs saving. Yeah, exactly. So the rest of it's like, all right, so we're really good at that. So what are we not good at? Well, the sad fact is we know that behavior change and lifestyle, these interventions make a humongous difference. Probably most of them better than just pills, but definitely synergistically with medications, right? If you're taking a, a medicine for like Lipitor for your cholesterol and you're eating like crap three times a week, that's basically just pushing on the gas and the brake at the same time. It makes no sense. So we know these things work. We have good data supporting that exercise and sleep and nutrition work. So the healthcare system is basically unable to deliver the most effective therapies for the most effective set of diseases that are affecting the most important set of diseases that are affecting the most people exactly when they need it the most and when they need it the most, which is at home and at work, because that's where health actually happens. It doesn't happen in a clinic or in front of a doctor. It happens through those decisions. Where are those decisions being made every day at home and at work? we're effectively unable to deliver the therapy that gets you, that reaches you there. That's bad. That's really bad. So that's where the concern comes from. So doctors, yeah. we're not trained. We can't reach you. But like you said, we're not trained there. We're not trained in the psychology. I took zero nutrition and exercise classes when I was in medical not school. incentivized, right, to treat people that way. There's right. no reason for you to treat someone like that. It is true. Behind the scenes, what people don't realize with insurance is that there's a lot of work involved getting that process that office visit, that procedure, that therapy, that medication through insurance, it is a system that's designed for profit. Just keep that in mind, you know? So there's two sides of the story when it comes to a lot of people's healthcare. And what's unfortunate about it is that there's no one telling people that they have to do it for themselves, right? That's the thing. If that message was given across from the earliest of age and, and school, all the way up to, you know, when they're, you know, in grad school and, you know, hanging out at Starbucks or the local coffee shop, you know, if the message was always, hey, you have to take care of your health because no one else will do it for you. 
then I think priorities and the lifestyle then changes. And I imagine, and you know this too, we've discussed this. If you really want to do anything in life, like truly, we talk about anti-aging and quality of life. Let's just be honest. If you want to do anything in life, you have to be healthy. There's no other way around it. You will not get anything. You will not accomplish your dreams. You will not be a long-term success if you are not healthy. And so I've seen, and you've seen this too, the hypocrisy behind the idea that executives, highly successful quote-unquote executives, basically neglect their health to get to quote-unquote success. And then at the last minute, they're kind of like, okay, what do I do now? Yeah. Yeah. Even yeah. Have, you don't so, even enjoy it. Yeah. I completely agree with you, but let me, the way I've thought about that, that perplexes me as well. So I look at like the Warren Buffett's of the world. I'm like, the guy's obviously intelligent. We're not, we're not arguing with that, but why is he talking about cheeseburgers all the time? Okay. So I think first of all, there's actually data been, there's data been done. Right. Yeah. There's, he's like talking about Coke and it's like, no, no, no. Stop talking about Coke. All right. Like it's, <laughs> like, stop talking about soda, which is like one of the most evil, evil things you can put in your body. Now, this is like, not stressed out. Right, like that's the one thing is. I mean, is that what you think it is? I don't know. Maybe. I think a couple things. One is, would you guys agree with with this? Just before I zoom into the point about the executives, because some there's actually been work and surveys stuff done there, and he's the exception, not the rule. You look at the Fortune 500 CEOs, majority of them are actually in shape, and I've got a chance to talk to some and have known their routines and understand that they make health a priority. So they actually exercise every day. They know this and they're like, they've engaged. They basically built themselves a system that yeah. gets some great health results. And that's what this really comes down to. It comes down to systems. So when you see people who are, are like the exceptions of the rules, like Warren Buffett, to me, what I see is a person who has cultivated an incredible system. The system includes tools, expertise, other people in his team, great insight and process for evaluating companies, stock markets, you know, all those metrics. Over years, he's created the system. The system is giving him results. The results we're talking about are his financial success. And you can imagine other CEOs too. You think about the same way. People who are really successful in general have great systems. The problem is they just haven't built a system for their health. So when I see those people with their health, they just haven't invested in a system. And like you said, some of it's like, well, I just never realized I had to. Like it's something that would just evolve and happen. Or I could put my head in the sand, it would just, it would get better later. What they don't see is that system, investing in that system early, not only prevents their 10 years to their lifespan and prevents the heart attack 10 years down the road, it makes them better right away. They're cognitively more clear. They've got much more energy. They've got less fatigue. They've got more ability to be present and be less stressed out when things get bad at work. All those things you're talking about, about health is the major barrier to. When you're unhealthy, you can't reach those goals. You're not going to perform at your best. The human body is a machine and you have to take care of the machine. And the most important part of that's not even, I think, the visceral organs. It's the brain. To me, you know, exercise and being healthy means that at my best mentally. And that to me is worth every dollar I spend into it. Some people are born knowing that very small percentage. Some people, they trained and modeled that very early from great mentors and people they look up to or just on themselves, they found that out to be true through trial and error. But the majority of people, you're right, don't get told this. They don't invest in the system. So one of, you know, Daytona is that system. Someone asked me once on another podcast, like, what was the main reason we started this? Like, what's the real underlying passion for all of our team members? It's really simple. Like it relates to what you said earlier about health being the biggest blocker, like the aha moments with our members 
when they realize they can achieve things they didn't think they could achieve before because now they're thinking better, they're feeling better, they're physically better, they're on less medication, that is worth every ounce of effort put into the startup. We don't know what the upper limits to human performance are, as Jordan Peterson, the psychologist, said that once, right? He's like, we don't know. In other words, the same person who's capable of creating something really dumb is also capable of creating like the James Webb Space Telescope, right? People are amazing, but they can't reach that potential unless they're healthy. If we can be part of someone's journey, even for a little while, to help unblock that person from doing something amazing, isn't that worth it? Yeah, for sure. I agree completely. That's, that's exactly how I feel too. I've looked at the hierarchy of what it takes to be self-sustainable, right? Which is one way to look at being healthy. And from a basic needs, behavior health has taught us food and shelter, warmth and water. And up until recently, they just started including health in that discussion, which is fascinating because to me, I said, well, I think health should be the most important thing, something someone has ever taught because you're healthy. You can break a lot of different cycles that might hold you back and you'll be able to think differently. You will hopefully be in different situations, different rooms. You will make different connections even within yourself that lead to a different way of living. And I think for the systems, like you said, Years ago, when you develop a system for business, you think, well, I need to develop a system like this at home for my personal life because it works for business, right? Yeah. And then you start thinking about, well, I need a routine for my workouts, so I'm going to make sure I develop a routine for that. And then next, you know, is a system for the way you eat. And it's fascinating because a lot of times the food thing, it's a system that people don't even realize. I said, you control everything that goes in your mouth. I mean, that's a, let's be honest. You have food yeah. delivered to you. You have it made for you. You can cook it from home. You have the ability to choose what you want there. And I always want them to be aware of that. And I think that's probably the first step for a lot of people in that change. They're like, well, what do I do? Like, you know, if I really want that change, I say, right. well, just being aware, just being aware, right? Like that maybe you do want that change, right? And kind of going with it, right? And I think that's where people get hung up because they might not be supported by a surrounding environment that caters to a person wanting to make a change, right? So I think, you know, coaching, coaching, therapists, practitioners, call it what you want. A person that is there to hold space and interpret and guide a person usually allows that person to figure out the answer for themselves, right? Which I think is great, but allowing that conversation to be had, I think is the first start with the action part. So the awareness and then having that conversation of what to do next. And so when people come into our clinic, I'm sure the same way with you in Daytona, we start off with something simple like, so how are you feeling today? You know, how are you doing? Right? And it's such a simple question. And nowadays in 2022, I do not know how many people are asked that on a daily basis now. Right? Yeah, I would agree with you. If you don't have medical training, you haven't seen how bad it can get most likely when people are not healthy. Like when you know, when you're, you have a visceral connection to that when you're a physician or a nurse or something, because you've seen that go bad in the hospital. You've seen what it looks like. So a lot of people aren't dumb. They just don't know because they weren't exposed to like how bad it could be. So to them, that's not a big motivator. So what do they have to go by? How do they feel? So like how they feel is really important to them. It's like, how'd you feel last week? You know, how are you feeling in general? What's your mood over the last month? How are you doing? Are really important questions because they need to see immediate results to something. So 
one of the reasons, one of the things we do at Daytona is um, we understand that we're reducing their long-term all-cause mortality and cardiovascular risk and things like that. We know that by doing these, all of us would agree that behavior change and improving those areas of lifestyle would do that. But it's really important for us to be asked the subjective questions because we don't have great labs for the brain. What we do have is talk, right? We have questions. And those are, are our biomarkers. That is the brain's biomarker in a sense, it's like your emotional state, how you're thinking about things. So we use those as lab tests. And that's, I think, one way to look at them is like, those are good enough markers that you can trend. I think those metrics get lost in the traditional healthcare system because we've become so reductionist. Disease is complicated. You can break down all the molecules that lead to diabetes. You're talking about hundreds and thousands of different interactions. And you could spend your whole life studying those. That's what like endocrinologists do. But sometimes you get so focused in that that you forget that you're treating the whole person and you're not really treating the disease. And it wasn't, you know, I didn't say that. I mean, the father of medicine, quote unquote, you know, Osler talks about this 100 years ago, right? It's like a good physician treats the disease, a great physician, you know, treats the person. So we've known this, but that got lost. It's been getting lost for a while and people are not happy and they notice. So what I'm seeing is really the health metric to me that's, almost as important or maybe more important than anything else we measure because it sets you up for long-term, like you said, sustainability, and it predicts success with people able to take care of themselves or engage with coaches and stuff to continue on a process is self-efficacy. Are we building people's self-efficacy and their sense of agency? Because see, if you treat people with meds and all those different services, but at the end of that whole process, they don't feel like they have any control of their disease or their health trajectory, that's a problem. For everybody, the next steps to getting healthier are a little bit different. For somebody who right now in our economy is making a choice between you know baby formula and gas, that's how tight it is right now, maybe they can't afford a Peloton. Maybe that's not an option. So my question to them is, what can you do? It's not, oh my gosh, let's go, woe is me on your lot in life. We realize it's bad, but that's not how we want to think about it. We want to think about what can maybe it's just take a walk for three minutes. And then maybe the next week we'll do a walk for four minutes once a day in five minutes. Once they start taking those steps, getting those wins, you're building self-efficacy. They feel like yep. I have control now. And that's how you start to improve your situation. You know, whether it's health, financial, your relationships, education levels. You know, people transition through different socioeconomic classes, right? They're not stuck there forever, but that's how you start doing it. So that's what we're really trying to build here. That metric, we don't measure very well in traditional healthcare. Damn, for sure, you know, measure it at Daytona. Like, we're, it's really important to us to measure how people feel. And I think it's an extension of that question you're asking, which is like, how are you doing? Yeah. How do you feel about what you're doing here? A lot of people, they've tried things before. Everyone's tried things before to get healthy and you fail at them. And that's a real big block. No one wants to fail at anything. So it's like, I tried weight loss like 60 times before. Like, how is this different? Like, what's going to be different now? Well, I don't want to try it because I don't want to fail again. That's a very common thing that we, we see. It's very natural. But this is where the power of coaching, you can institute several systems. It's important for us to think about health as a skill. And if you look at every other part of our lives, you mentioned our cars and oil changes. Like no one in their right mind really skips oil changes. Like most people... Go spend the 30 bucks to get the oil change at Jiffy Lube or whatever, because they don't know how engines work, maybe, but they know that, like, well, I don't know how it all works, but I know that if I don't do this, I don't want a big bill later and my whole life to be up, turned upside down. So you treat everything else in our life like this. Like, if I asked you to go play the piano 
And you'd go, well, I've never played before. I'd be like, no, it's easy. Just hit the right keys to make the right notes. And you'd be like, I don't know how to do that. Right? So what would you do? You'd get a coach. You get guidance. You get training. You'd be educated. You'd fail a lot, but you'd slowly get better. It would take you a lot of time. It's a skill. Anything that we treat as a skill, we know that journey is like that, right? To get good at anything. Most people are good at something and they went through that process. They had mentors, they had guides, they got educated. Whether you, maybe you're an IRS agent, well, you're probably a really good one. How did you do that? You failed, you messed up. You know, we've all done this, right? In our, in our careers. So the thing is, for some reason in our culture, we don't treat health that way. So when someone's obese, we go, what's the big deal? Just eat less and move more, right? Like we don't think, oh, wait, this is a skill. They're going to need guidance. They're going to need coaching. They're going to need education. They're going to need someone to help turn the data into actual actions. They're going to fail sometimes. They're going to need some help when they're feeling bad about not doing well. Just treat it like a skill. No one's born knowing how to sleep better or how to eat better. So we just treat it like a long-term process that we continue to refine and get better at. Yeah, it's almost like you do let the environment control how that goes, right? Because if you're raised in like in a family that like they just stay up all night and watch TV all night, well, that's what you're gonna do, right? Because that's just oh, like, that's your habit. Like that's exactly what you know. I can't imagine that like the boys, like your kids, are gonna like grow up watching TV super late because you guys don't do that, right? And they know. And maybe once they go to college and they're around other kids that are doing those things, it's going to change, right? But it's like you said, it's not like a skill set means that you keep practicing what's good for you or what you enjoy as opposed to like letting the environment affect so you're saying what you. What you're saying, what you model is really important. Correct. Yeah. 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 But let me ask you this, from the coaches that work for Daytona that you select to work for you, like what's that process look like? Like what are the clients expecting to see from, from coaches at Daytona? The good news is when we started Daytona, we talked about decoding the science and the art of behavior change in coaching, which is difficult to do, but like that's our mission. When we do that, we can use software to help scale it with AI approaches. But that being said, the good news is there are really good coaches in the world in all domains. So not just health, but you want to learn anything. There's some coach out there who can teach it to you, right? So the first step was, let's just go find the good coaches, let them do their thing and then kind of decode and tag and annotate how they're doing their process. So we just look at them while they do their thing. Good coaches to us are ones who can persuade. They run their own process. A lot of them, they might not have actually written down this process, like sentence by sentence, but there is a process. If you're getting results consistently through anything, that means you have a process, whether it's conscious or, conscious or not. So what we've noticed is coaches that continue to get really good good results. Great results with people means you have to assess where they are, assess what kind of coaching techniques are going to work, and then use and apply the right tools, pull the right levers at the right time consistently over time in an engaging way, and so you can get measurable results. So in the health coaching space, in my opinion, what I've noticed is the separator from like the good coaches to great coaches are the ones that take the time to get very emotionally deep with people. You could make the case that every startup should be able to list the one thing they do really well. Like what's the one thing that like we do at Daytona Health really well, like better than anyone else? We get to know people. We get to know people better than they know themselves. So well that our coaches and our teams are good at like predicting how people are going to feel or how they might fail a certain task or homework assignment or skill set. But when we know that or we can put numbers around we predict this person may go awry because they're traveling and there's bad food at airports that week, you know, the, the airport they're in. 
how do we stop that? Like, how do we make it easier for them to, to find good food? Let's go look up the airport. Let's go find the restaurants. Let's go let's send them a list before they even leave. Let's go make them print that list out, right? And take a snapshot, put it on their phone. These things you can do to help people make better choices, to get that level of intervention, you need a coach that's so intuitively and emotionally involved. So they understand the science. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about finding the people who can employ that science in an artistic way but that's, that usually means being really not scared to delve into people's emotional states because weight loss is a very common reason for our members as well. And I think weight loss always ends up being the start of a coaching conversation, never the end. So we're always asking why, why do you want to lose? What does weight loss mean to you? What does the world look like when you're X amount lighter? How do people treat you differently? What goals do you think you could achieve there? Oh, well, I want to be lighter for a wedding. Oh, that's coming up. Why? Who are you trying to impress at the wedding? Who's going to be at the wedding? Why are you going to the wedding? We ask questions and peel back the layers to the depth we need to go to, to where we find really compelling reasons. And most of these reasons are like really personal to people. So they guard them under a lot of layers. Coaches who can help unpack that without making people feel too uncomfortable. Discomfort is part of the game. It's actually a good thing. We're making people feel a little bit uncomfortable, but then we know we're reaching them. Then we have these engaging reasons and we can use those reasons along with the wearable data, behavior change techniques to then start implementing a coaching system for that person that's super uber personalized with the things they care about. So if that's what I'm looking for in coaches, it's like, can you reach me? Because everybody is different. It just takes some time. I was always worried in the beginning that maybe we're bothering people too much. Like maybe if we send them a nudge every day or every hour, like what's too much? How many touch points does a coach need to reach out to a person? Because as a physician, we reach out to people an average of 60 minutes a year, right? So it's not that much. So coaching is different. What we have found is the exact same thing I found when running the podcast, which I was also worried like, oh, you know, it's 90 minutes too long. Is Are people just busy? No, people like talking about themselves. And for the reason that you mentioned before, because it's like, how many times in your life do people really take an interest in you, what you're doing, how you're feeling? When was the last time someone really sat down with you guys and asked you that? So when someone does, you're like, oh, this is a pleasant surprise. Like, yes, I actually am a person. I have feelings and thoughts and ambitions and dreams. And thank you for asking me. I'd like to share them. So yeah. I'm sure we'll oversaturate people at some point. But that's what we're finding is that not by default, the healthcare system is not giving people enough attention. That's actually patient's biggest complaint about the healthcare system. My doctor doesn't spend enough time with me. So spending time matters. You can't hack that part. You have to get to know people. And that's that right. Time. And it's interesting as the conversation has evolved for me as a practitioner, I'm sure it has for you. Baldo has his own coaching that he's done, but it's fascinating because the conversation changes and evolves. The underlying issues are still the same, but the way that you get across to everyone you have to connect on a certain frequency, right? A certain wavelength, which is really fascinating. I had a friend yesterday send me a bunch of Alan Watts collections and recordings. And I'm like, that's incredible. We learn as practitioners about what people are doing to connect with others or to understand themselves better. They're not going to the doctor. They're going and listening to podcasts. They're reading. They're, they're listening to what their friends are telling them. They're going on journeys. They're doing different things sometimes even at home. Because one of the things I've noticed too, and you've noticed this too in the last couple of years, the amount of people doing things at home to help ease their stress 
and you know what that looks like. It can get bad. It can get ugly. And Absolutely. that behavior aspect of saying, yeah, I go back to that because I don't know any better or I do know better, but I still do it anyway. You have to connect with someone on a wavelength to where they see where you're coming from, that sympathy, that bedside manner, right? The Just the compassion, right? Like I loved how you thought of that because it's something that I've made sure that we've had in the company for years that we've said, like, you got to care. And Baldur says it too, like people don't know how much you know until they know how much you care, right? And so then what I would always do is like, we're going to educate. That's how we're going to show we care. We're going to show and educate. And then after a while, that education also learned into like, well, we're going to also have to understand how the brain works. So behavior comes into it. And that's where true growth happens. And behavior change is where the growth happens. And it's okay to be angry and upset and prideful. But you can get out of that. Like you can get out of that loop. You can get out of it. People do it all the time. And it's very possible. You have tools. The coaches give tools. I love talking to different coaches who really are good. Like they, I know what you're talking about. Because if a good coach is there, they know exactly what to say in the right moment. Which means they can bring that person back into a frequency that allows them to see it from their angle, maybe a different perspective, out of their comfort zone, if you will. Right? And all of a sudden, you're like, oh. And imagine like Baldo has a coach who tells it like it is, very upfront, very in your face. And that's what he needs. He needs to tell me, like, tell me exactly what the issue is. Even if it's me, <laughs> that's the issue. Please <laughs> tell me if it's the issue, I will do something about it. Yeah. You know? Baldo, is this, is this correct? Is this assessment? Is that your style? You need to look more than Navy SEAL. I'll bring my coach over and they're like, man, he's just too much. But like, for me, it's like, I'll just develop a system around whatever he, the feedback is. And it's easy, right? Well, because like you said, like so for, for me, I'm already, the mindset's there. Like you tell me I, I need to change that, I'll change that. That's not a problem. Like I just need to know, right? I don't get offended about like, oh my God, like whatever, like you're calling me out. Like I do it, please. Like I, I want to improve, right? Because I want to get to that end quick so that I can go travel more. Like that's basically what it comes yeah, down but to. See, but see, that's, that's, I tell them that all the time, that's advanced. Yeah. Because that is, that is like, Right now, you heard he said there's a no emotion attached to that, right? Because I could almost as a best friend and business partner tell him something and know he's not going to get offended because it's in best interest of everyone, right? Including himself. That is so hard for people to do at first because when you tell them that they're the problem and they can not get offended by it, then that's real growth. But most people get offended when you tell them you're the problem, but you're also the solution. Right. And to get them to understand that Baldo told me one time on the flip side of the analysis, I was going through a bunch of stress and we all know stress is constant by now. But at the time, there was a lot more of it. He gives me a suggestion. He goes, I don't know what you're worried about, man. The answer's there. And he yeah. walks away. This was obviously the end of the discussion. And I was left kind of holding the bag like, Okay. What is he in? The answer, if we knew the answer, it'd already be solved. You know, what is he talking about? Right. And so what's fascinating is after that, briefly, I started getting out of my own head. I started breaking my own routine and the answer came. And so one of the prime examples of what we used to do when we needed to break the mold, we would go on these board meetings, quote unquote, paddle board meetings on town Lake here in Austin. And we would have our meetings there and we would talk about what our ideas were that we needed to solve. 
And we'd usually come up with the answer because we were out of our typical, I mean, we couldn't solve the problem where we were at. So we said, well, let's get out of this room and go somewhere else and maybe it'll come to us there. And all of a sudden we're like not thinking about it. Our vibe changes. We're like, our guard comes down a little bit. And now because our vibration changes, all of a sudden we yeah. have this different mindset and we're like, well, you know what, what if we tried this instead? And that's hard. You're speaking to something that I've been thinking about for a while with respect to science and knowledge finding in general. A lot of scientific inquiry and just finding truth in the world focuses on finding the answer. But to be honest, finding the answer is usually the result of a process. And, for, and that process can be iterated on. But what I've noticed is that the real good scientists, historically and even now, are really good at question finding. Yeah. Like asking the right question is so important to know where to spend your time. It's like just that little insight moment of like being aware that there's a problem. It's always, I've always seen it from like, let the answer find you because so much of it is like, we're just blocking it because you're trying to force it to be like, this is how I want the answer to be. It's like, well, it's not up to you, right? Like the answer is already there, but you just gotta just fucking let it go so that way the answer can find you yeah but <laughs> that's just true but then think about this from a practitioner standpoint and you were taught this too 90 percent of your diagnosis was going to come from your history questions, intake yeah. right so if you didn't ask the right questions you didn't get the right answers yeah. so as a practitioner you're almost trained to ask the hard question if it hurts where is it coming from and the crazy thing is Patients will tell you and show you everything because they're kind of supposed to, right? Like they're supposed to trust you in their most vulnerable state to say like, hey, I think this is a problem. Can you help me figure out what's going on? I mean, that's essentially why people go to the doctor in the first place. Like I'm sick. I don't know what's going on. I'm tired all the time. I don't know what's going on. My back hurts all the time. I don't know what's going on. And you're like, all right. But if you just don't do anything and you're just like, I don't know, pain, here you go. It's a pain pill doesn't get anywhere, right? We, and the crazy thing is even from the most basic levels of necessity, I still believe like, you know, not to get back into it, but even giving food, if you don't teach why the food is so important to begin with, the person yeah. will not be compliant enough to go back and eat it again, right? So when you ask the question of history intake, you cannot be afraid to ask those tough questions. And the good coaches really don't, are not afraid. That's why I think practitioners would be great natural coaches because they do ask direct questions. I mean, he doesn't have great bedside manner, but he's a good doctor because he gets to the root cause. You know, it's like, yeah, like that's what you want yep. when it comes to a person trying to help you, right? Yep. This comes up when we talk about AI and healthcare over the years that we've evolved that discussion what the role is. And I'm like, it's really simple. People want answers. Like they want answers. They want to learn and grow, but they're coming to you for answers. So I don't care what you use, whether it's humans or AI or some combination thereof, the metric is they have answers. And sometimes you don't have an answer. Are they confident in your process to find the answer? If you walk into most, I don't know this is a fact. I'm going to make, take a guess. You tell me if you guys think I'm right. If I walked into any hospital in the United States, like a general large hospital, like say 500 beds or larger, which is like the, a big hospital. I walk into the general medicine wards, you know, people are hanging out. I go to like a random person. I go, hey, why are you here today? Like, why are you in the hospital? I bet you they wouldn't be able to tell me. I mean, like, no, why are actually you here? What's happening today? What's like the criteria for you? Like when you leave, how are you going to get out of here? They're going to go, I came in with some kind of chest pain. I don't know. They're doing some tests. They don't know what it is. I, I think whatever. that's not a good answer. That reflects very poorly upon the medical system. 
we're keeping people in a building, charging $1,500 a day or more, and that person doesn't know what's going on. Like, that's bad. How did it get there? How do we have people so unengaged in their health? To your earlier point about the health system, there are some mustache twirling evil players here. There are people with bad intent who are just greedy, who care less about like the people. I don't think the majority of people are like that, though. I think the profits are there for sure. But I think it's a system that just doesn't incentivize the right things, right? So it's like no doctor wants to practice like that. I think the majority of them want to spend that time asking those questions, exploring those things, getting to know that person. I think they do. But when you're in ER and it's full of 30 people and you've got five minutes or six minutes, you can't do that. And the real question is, why do you only have five or six minutes, right? So that system is never going to really be incentivized or change to be able to do that. So we have to think differently. I was thinking from that same question, if you pick someone at a hospital and you ask them, like, what are you doing here? And if they happen to be one of the practitioners, they might just say, like, well, it's my shift, right? Like that, and that's kind of sad. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought when we started Daytona, we started thinking about the protocols and how we would do it and the right, the kind of team members that would be involved and the health coaches being kind of the QBs, if you will, of the, all the different experts. We literally thought about this way. Our director of coaching, Kevin Hine and I, Kevin, we, we sat down, we're like, if we took Elon Musk's rocket to Mars and he put us in charge of like, okay, you're going to create a health system now for people on Mars. And we, so basically we had the ability to throw away all these existing pieces, all right? Throw away the Legos that are, throw away the puzzle pieces that are insurance, all that stuff. You have the freedom to think, rebuild it from scratch. What would you have? And that's what our vision was. So like you'd have, Everyone, the second they got their smartphone from when they were 16 or 17, I don't know when the kids get smartphones these days, probably a lot younger. That's showing you my, (laughs) how tone deaf I am with regard to the younger generation. But it's like, they get their smartphone, you get Siri, you already get some of the most advanced language model AI in the world. Why don't you get access to a health coach, a health coaching system right away? So from a very early age, what would everyone want? You'd want a health coach, you'd want a dietitian, you'd want someone to help you virtually exercise. You want a life coach to help you with time management and stress and like people pleasing and those kind of bad habits that don't help you. And you'd want an executive coach to help you like find that job and career and professional development that gives you purpose and meaning and how to succeed, how to be assertive, how to like figure out what you're worth. That's really the dream team. And you'd want that pe- those people to know you, get enough data on you, follow progress and track you and help you level up as you go through your life. Well, that's what our premium tier at Daytona actually is. Those are the people we were involved in the coaching. You know, our premium tier actually includes an executive assistant as well to help with the time management and stuff like that, because people are like, I don't have time. I'm like, well, now you do, because we're going to help you with that to offload some of those other tasks. But my point is, that's what you'd want. You'd also want an MD involved because, you know, some people, meds are appropriate for them. They're appropriate tools that can help them reduce their risk of bad things happening once you've maximized lifestyle therapy, right? Or at least in, in, engaged in that. And MDs are really good at knowing the larger complications of these diseases and are good with medical judgment, like deciding on what course you should take. So that's like the dream team. And we're building toward that. We've got many of those players already involved. We're coaching and MDs are coming down the line too. So we have a direct primary care component or, or people who can help do that part. But yeah, that's what you'd create. I'm not saying insurance is bad. I think insurance is great for chemotherapy. When you break your bones and stuff like that, we need a health insurance and we need all the trauma surgeons and all the cardiologists and all those other people doing that end of life care stuff too. But if I could throw a switch or at least have on everyone on our Mars colony start with this as default, I think we can keep a large population of people feeling a lot better, thriving, and avoiding a lot of disease for a long time. So it's like, 
I don't think we can make that switch by engaging with the current model. I think you're pushing a really large boulder uphill there. And there's too many incentives for people who are making millions and millions and millions of dollars. This is why we're direct to consumer. We go straight to the consumer with our model and say, look, we don't answer to anybody except you. It's really simple how we measure metrics. You're feeling better. You're actually better with your physiology, which we measure, and you're reaching your goals. Those are the three categories we measure results. You're not hitting those, then we're going to have a talk and we'll figure out how to get better. We don't answer to your health system. We don't answer to your insurance company. I don't need to please them. I need to please the end user who's our customer. That's a different model. Let's end it right there because that's a great place to end it. But let the listeners know, like, where can they find you? Where can they learn more about Daytona Health as well? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on and let me share the vision from me and our, and our team, what we're doing. So really appreciate it and love what you guys are doing too and how you're thinking about it. So I think we need more people like this to really, it's, it really resonates with the everyday person who's looking for what we've got to offer. So you can find us at uh, www.daytona.health. And if anyone wants to learn more, you know, just click on the book of discovery call. We'd like to talk to everybody and that 20 minutes is like a really good investment of your time because it just lets us know if we're a good fit and you get to know everything about everything from our pricing, what we do and how we do it. And also we get to learn about you. Like, what are you concerned about? Which is the most important thing? Well, why do you want to make a change? So on and so forth. You always find me on my emails, ravi at daytona.health. And I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn. So you can look me up there as well. But yeah, feel free to, to just shoot me a message, DM or directly through email. Well, thank you so much, Ravi. You got any last? I appreciate what you're doing too. I think what's interesting is we'll see where this goes, but if you're already thinking about what health insurance is like on Mars, then yeah. you're, you're far ahead of the game from than most people. So I'm, yeah. I'm interested to see what happens in the future. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, you got to work backwards from a vision, right? So Great. Well, I appreciate it. We'll keep up the good work, man. It's very nice to meet you.